He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left. This crowd is going deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. It looks like I'm a rat. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Welcome and thank you for listening to A Good Talk Spoiled. I'm James Richardson and I'm delighted to say I don't need to use any of my wildcard picks this week as we have a full house for this week's show. In studio I have Bobby Donnelly. Hey Bobby. Hey James, how's it going? Uh, and I have Barry O'Hanrahan. Hey guys. And uh, again, live from the land of ABBA and IKEA, Alan Donnelly. Hey, Alan. Hey, hey. <laughs> um, as always, we uh, appreciate all the feedback and comments we received during the week about the show and asking us to cover topics that might be of interest to you. We would love to hear your views on today's show, and you can get in contact with us through the usual social media outlets. We're on Twitter, and our Twitter handle is at PodcastGTS, and we're also on Facebook under Good Talk Spoiled. And if you want to use email, our email address is a good talk spoiled at gmail.com. We have a full show this week as we are planning to discuss the most important golfing news of the past seven days and particularly the captain's wild cards for the Ryder Cup, which were announced yesterday by Paul McGinley and Tom Watson. But before we get into the professionals, let's talk briefly about the amateurs and we can't get more amateur than Barry. How did you get on this week? <laughs> uh, I redefined amateur this week. Uh, I, I, lots of really good stuff and the, the bad stuff was just catastrophic. I had, um, had 10 pars in my round of 18 holes, which is pretty nice. And then I, my five bad holes, I lost 14 shots on, including a, an 11. So, uh, not, not a, not a good week. Let me guess it was on the 15th hole. It was on the 15th, yeah. For people who don't know Glenn the Downs, it's out of bounds all the way down the right. Yes. And if you, if you follow Gar- Barry and Gamebook, Every week, it's minimum it's, a triple bogey. It's not every it's, week. I've actually I've looked at my stats in that hole. And it's not as bad as the, when it's terrible. It is the worst ever. <laughs> and I, it was actually one of my better driving rounds in a while. And I felt like I was hitting it much much better with the driver. So hopefully it was uh, you know small glimmers of uh, of form coming along. Um, next week, next week we're just only going to ask you how did you get on the fifteenth? What do you think, James? Yeah, I think that makes much more sense. <laughs> no, 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 no. How did Barry get on? Just how did you get on? The 15th? I mean, that only gives me one hole of pain to talk about then. You could probably put your kids through school if you collected Barry's golf balls from the, uh, <laughs> the OB on 15. <laughs> Those refurbished Pro V1s. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Anyway, uh, anybody else have any disasters on the weekend? Well, Bobby, last week you, we, I, I told the listeners that you were playing the Lord Mayor's uh, competition, and uh, I understand this is for low handicappers, which is why I've never heard of this competition. Uh, <laughs> perhaps you might just tell us the format and yeah. how you got on. The Lord Mayor of Dublin um, set up a competition back in the 50s, 60s, and his home club at the time was Clontarf. So it's uh, qualifying, strokes qualifying on on the Sunday. It used to be built around the builders' holiday, so that everyone everyone would off and you'd play that. You'd play the whole week. So what happens is 64 qualify from the stroke play out of about 180, 200, and so I played on Sunday. And I actually had shot 73, which was four over. So I got myself I actually got myself a handicap cut, which is nice. And then what are you down to now? Down to five. Nice. Back, back to five. Yeah, so happy with that. And but then what happens is you go on to play the first round of match play either Monday or Tuesday. Then you play the second round Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 
uh, then the semi-final and uh, final on the Saturday. So I played my first round match on Monday, and that was it. That was <laughs> I was waiting for the big. Yeah, I hope this uh, in, in our timings doesn't get all the way to Sunday, yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. clearly not. No, I actually um, I played the guy who won last year. Now he's a very very good player. He's off four, so yeah, no 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 joy. But uh, it was good. It's a great competition. It's a great format actually, and it's and it, it's 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 difficult. You know, you play a lot of good, a lot of very good players. It was mm. great fun. You were really unlucky to come up against the former champion after a really good qualifying. Round. Yeah, I think my score was the second best growth score as well, so I ended up against the, the champion. But, but anyway, sure, that's, that's, that's the thing about open draws, you know. That's yeah. it. Well, I just have to get down low enough to play in this famous competition. Alan, uh, did you get to enjoy the lush green fields of Sweden, or were you uh, sitting on the couch watching the football this weekend? No, I actually made a, I made a, a rare foray back to, back to Ireland, so I had to play... Um, uh, myself and my my usual golf partner were in the semi final of our the club four ball, so we snuck home on that one up. We won on the last hole, so nice. We are into the final now. So that, that was the only round I've had. That's the, that's the actually the first round I've had in a few weeks. I understood you made a good up and down on the last, did you, to win the match? I did. Yeah, it was actually geez, it was very good. It was a very high quality match because we had we had six birdies on our side um, wow. in the eighteen holes, and it was. And it was still only still only good enough to squeeze home on the last. Yeah, I had to get up and down from about sixty yards to uh, to have the hole and preserve our lead. You'll, Very good. You'll be able to tell Barry how to get through a semi final into a final of a match play tournament. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you get out at all, James? Uh, I did, but uh, I had a, ne- a seventy-three after handicap, and yeah. I had three absolute blowout holes. I had a quadruple on the part three fourth. Uh, after starting really nicely, and mm. I got it back, and then I blew up again on the back nine in two holes. So I think two, I gave two triples in a quad. And other than that, it was there was nothing worse than a bogey, and there was a nice two on the card as well to you know get some money out of the day. It's not far yeah. away, so can't be far away. No, like uh, just two bad swings and just cost me. But anyway, sure. Look, another week, and we start well, again. Do you get it like a handicap adjustment for having to play with Barry every week? Do you get <laughs> <laughs> a couple of shots or something? <laughs> yeah, I should. Yeah, the patience goes after a while. Um, but uh, but no, it's 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 not too bad until the fifteenth hole. Um, you should get a handicap adjustment for just being friends with him. Never mind, thank <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm going to leave that exactly where it is. Does anyone have a door closing sound to play right now? Because I'm gone. <laughs> well, look, uh, on, on that great high note, we'll move on and go to the rules-related question, where Barry is actually beating you, Alan. So perhaps this is where he wreaks his revenge. Uh, and I thought last week you had a chance to close the gap, but unfortunately you didn't uh, manage it. So Barry is still leading 20 points uh, to 16. But hopefully this week, Alan, I've, I've asked a real doozy, I think. So here it is. Alan asks Barry to mark the position of his ball and lift it at his, as it is interfering with his play. Barry does so and cleans his ball when it is lifted. What is the ruling? A. Barry is penalised one stroke for cleaning his ball. B, Barry is penalised two strokes for cleaning his ball, or C, there is no penalty. And Barry, you're first. Uh, we're in trouble on the. I know, I know, I'm in trouble for cleaning my ball. And last week I went for the the minimum penalty of one stroke, so I'm going to go for a two stroke penalty this week, which is option B. Option B, Barry is going with Alan. I agree that Barry is in big trouble. Um, how much trouble he's in, I don't really know. So. It, in the hope of making up some ground, I will go... Did, what, you said two strokes, Barry, did you? Yeah. Okay, I'll go one. 
you go A. And what I can say is, and I'm going to just give the result now because it's easier than at the end. Um, the answer is Barry is penalised one stroke. Oh. And for one of the... For one of the listeners who wrote in and asked that uh, perhaps sometimes we might just give the reasoning behind the rules-related question, it actually is under Rule 21. The ball must not be cleaned unless it lies on the putting green. So mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. never entitled to uh, to clean, which I suppose both of you had, but it's a one-stroke penalty. I actually played in, as Alan calls it, the Augusta of Ireland on Monday, and a guy marked his ball off the green because he was in the way, and he actually held it in his two fingers very obviously so he didn't clean it and it was obvious so I knew I, I knew that was correct I wasn't sure how many strokes but uh, yeah, so yeah I know it was always yeah, hold it by the sides yeah, and yeah. don't to turn it around I think you actually have to put it down the way it was facing as well like the logos and the works you have to be very careful about it cool. golf rules will get you they sure will especially when you don't know them uh, so <laughs> Alan you have uh, closed the gap to 3 now so it's Ooh, 20 plays nice. 17 so uh, there's still life in the old dog yet um, so look, moving on back to the professional uh, uh, area and uh, the review of last week, the Deutsche Bank Championship, which I suppose was the, the better of the two events. This is the FedEx Cup. Uh, it was week two of four, so it was the top 100. Chris Kirk uh, won at minus 15, followed fairly closely behind, two shots behind uh, Jeff Ogilvy, Billy Herschel and Russell Henley. I suppose... I watched a bit of this, and I suppose my own view was that Chris Kirk, who had a final round of 66, uh, five under for the for the day, his putting over the course of that mm. round was just absolutely fantastic. He had three birdies on the front nine, one in the third, the fourth, and the ninth, and they were from five foot, eight foot, and eleven foot for mm. birdies. And then on the back nine on thirteen, which I think was the dagger in the heart of many of his uh, rivals. He held a 23-footer on the 13th to go to 14-under. That ultimately won him the title. Um, I I thought it was a brilliant performance by him, but I suppose there was other stories that were taking place behind that. And I suppose Jason Day, Barry, you know, what does this guy have to do to win an event on the US PGA? I think he needs a better mental game. Um, I actually... I had a, won a free bet and I put it all on Jason Day because he was showing all the signs of going the right direction to a win. His putting was amazing. The long game all seemed to be in good shape. The injuries seemed to be gone. And um, he got a great position on the last day and um, made a bogey and then followed up quickly with a double bogey and uh, he was gone then. Um, I don't know if he just, is he too aggressive and just needs to play a little bit smarter sometimes or it's um, it's something for Jason to figure out in his head, but he, he needs to do something because he's way too talented to only have two tournament wins um, to his name at this stage. I, I, I think there's a... Qu- we, you guys covered this very well. There is a big question mark over him, and when he goes off of things like 16-1, to 1, it's very hard to back him on the fact that he just doesn't convert mm. wins. And I think uh, the same criticism is of Schwarzel. So Schwarzel has won one major, but he hasn't won on the PGA Tour in... Yeah. I don't know if he has one. I think he, yeah, he might have won once, but he hasn't won in the last three years. So these guys that go off very short odds, and, and, and there are questions mark, question marks over them. Do you think Jason Day goes off on the short odds purely because he's always there or thereabouts? Yeah. He's always in the, the the placings, but really he'll never get over the line. Yes, yeah. and the bookie the bookies punish him in the in the odds because of that. I think. I mean, is is he is he the young Jim Furyk? 
is he about to go over eight and fifty four hole leads or joint leads? I mean, he, he, it's just it's a it's frustrating because you'd love to see him go on and get the get a, multiple wins because he is so ridiculously talented. Now he did win. Did he beat Dubois on the match play? The match play, yeah. But this is more stroke play. Mm. Than I, I think he's one of these guys. Once he once he gets one, um, then you know I think he, once he gets one, he'll probably get a few more. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a case. I actually don't think it's a case of bottle with him. I think it, I I think Barry might be right. I think it could be a case of strategy or something like that. He might be he might have the la- the wrong strategy going out because he never seems to really crumble. He just doesn't just doesn't seem to get the job done. I actually, I'm not, I actually looked today at his round four scoring average to see him. Well, maybe is he just collapsing? Because remember there was a point about mm. Garcia, so, but he's he's thirtieth in round four scoring average in around thirtieth. Take that. So that's pretty good. So it's it, it's not that he's always doing, but it must be a bit of mental or a bit of strategy that he's just not getting it right. If if you're talking about strategy, do you think do you place any of the blame on his caddy? No, it's purely down to him. I don't think you can ever blame the caddy, really. I don't think. I think the caddy is, is like the GPS for us. I think the player plays all the shots, in, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, when the, the caddy can help a player come to a decision, and sometimes the caddy can really put the foot down if he thinks the player's doing like the absolute, you know, making the absolute worst mistake. But I, I completely agree, Bob. Ultimately, it's the player. You know, he's the operator. He's the guy who's trying to win the tournament. I think the caddy should have stepped in with Billy Horschel on the last. Well, I was going to ask this question, Bob. In terms of Billy Horschel, and he was he was right on the the, the coattails of Chris Kirk um, going down the 18th, which is a par five and was very much in you know a makeable mm-hmm. eagle opportunity. He's in the middle of the fairway, so he's done the first bit right. The second bit just goes to absolute pot. It's like Barry on the 15th. You know, <laughs> you know what 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 happened, and you know what do you what did you make of it? I think he just hit a bad shot, but, but you know, and he was it was a lot of pressure on him. Like I was actually admiring his iron play all day. He's actually striking very well, and uh, I I thought he was his. As, sorry to repeat now, his iron play was fantastic, but I just think he hit a bad shot, and the, the pressure kind of got to him. But the thing I loved is his reaction after. So people who didn't see it. He just laughed and just said, ah, do you know what, sure, it's not the end of the world. I'm probably still picking up kind of 600 grand or maybe 400 grand. And do you know what, I went for it and, and he laughed it off and, and that there was no thought about it. And actually in the interview afterwards, he was very positive And he said, listen, I had a great 71 holes. Grant didn't work out for me. And I, and I think it's a very refreshing attitude. Yeah, and I think Jeff Ogilvie had a similar attitude. He missed, he hit the flag on the 18th, uh, missed the birdie putt, and kind mm. of said afterwards, look, you know what, minus 14 wouldn't have been enough, but I had a great week. You know, so it is, it is interesting to see when they do come off with a positive attitude. Mm. Mo- moving across the pond, and uh, we had uh, the Italian Open, and I suppose I, I, I was titling this as Glory's Last Chance for the European Ryder Cup Hopefuls. This was really Stephen Gallagher's chance to to make the team on merit. And I suppose we know that he didn't do it. And we're going to talk in greater detail about Stephen Gallagher and and the wild card pick in a minute. But just looking at the other players, uh, it was won by Henny Otto. Now, I have to say, when I heard his name, I didn't know who he was or where he was from. And I now believe he's from South Africa. Three-time winner. But he seems to win mostly in Italy. Do you think this guy, Barry, has any chance to be able to win outside of Italy? I don't know. Maybe if he finds a nice Italian near the golf course wherever he's playing. Um, he's a birdie machine when he gets going, though. It's uh, He's a fiery character. He's kind of like a, a Billy Horschel, you know, a real emotional golfer. And 
when he's on, he's just unstoppable. And you saw what he did, and it was just 62. It was just crazy scoring. Um, but he, he can equally just blow up. You know, hits one bad shot and um, kind of pulls a Barry on it, and he round goes to shit. It's got to be one of those weekends. Well, where uh, yeah, yeah, he, he did hold on and get the win, so you know, well, like credit it was, where it's due. It was definitely impressive. Like It, it was a flawless week of golf uh, on the scorecard anyway. It was a 67, 62, 71, and 68 the 62, Bob, was a standout round for this tournament by any of the players. What yeah, did you think of it? It was a, it was a round that won it for him. Um, I actually saw him playing. There was a bit of excitement going around Friday. People were talking about a potential 59. I think with uh, five holes to go, he had to go four under. And he actually birdied the fifth last hole. So he'd have three birdies in the last five. And he didn't. We were actually, I was watching the part three. He had a putt for birdie. And he didn't make it. Um, but he gave it a great run, great round of golf. And as you say, James, that, that was what, that was what won it for him. Yeah. And in, in fairness to Otto as well, like I think he has a bit of a reputation of being a bit of a headbanger, but, uh, the three wins he's had on the European tour, he's led going into the final round and he's closed them all out. So he's obviously comfortable in that position and, and he didn't seem to be under any pressure at all really at the weekend. Um, and anyway, I suppose it was actually a bit unfortunate for him because the tournament turned into a bit of a side event with Gallagher, with everyone focusing on Gallagher more than Otto. Yeah, and we'll, we'll come back to that. And I suppose second place was David Howell, and he had a 73 on day one. Do you think it was just simply too much work to catch up with uh, the leader over the course of the weekend? I think so. I think I think Otto was just a bit out of uh, bit out of reach. But actually, it's great that you mentioned David Howell. He actually put up a tweet uh, after the event. And he said, God, I know what it feels like uh, to be Stuart Sink when he beat Tom Watson in the Open because he finished second ahead of Stephen Gallagher. <laughs> so he goes, and he got, but he, he signed it off hashtag pick Stevie or something like that, yeah. you know. So it was great to see a bit of fun. And he said he did kind of feel bad for, but obviously it's a big check and it's an important points for David Howe. The other thing, just going back, James, on what you're saying there about Howe having a 73 in the first round, Chris Kirk was 10 shots behind after round one in the States. And he turned it around, so it's not it's not insurmountable. Do you know Do you know what Kirk did actually? He uh, he was so disgusted after his round, he just threw the threw his clubs back in the locker and didn't go do his usual practice after the round. He was just so just enough of this, and um, obviously worked. <laughs> well, yeah. as I suppose that's a very interesting point, and one I'm going to I suppose coming on to the news section. Um, and there's a quote this week by Sean Foley, and we touched on this last week. It was breaking news when we went out on, on the podcast. But uh, obviously the split between Sean Foley and Tiger Woods. And Sean has come out to say that, and this is a quote, I know the world won't want to believe that two people can go in different directions without being upset with each other. It was a wonderful opportunity. I'm very grateful. This is not a sad day. Well, all I can say is, Sean, you're kidding nobody with that kind of comment. I would say that uh, it is a sad day for you, if nothing else, for your bank balance. Yeah. But um, one of the suggestions and why it came into my head in terms of the point that you're making, Barry, about Chris Kirk, is that there's a suggestion going around now with Tiger Woods that, in fact, he shouldn't go to any coach. What he should do is just go back to his natural game mm. and just stop overthinking it and just play like he did when he was a teenager. Yeah, and that's that's what um, Butch Harmon and Hank Haney have both said, that you know, very few people know more about a golf swing than Tiger Woods and that um with all the with all the, the, the technical or the technology available these days with track plan and everything, that he could just go and build his own plan about his golf swing and figure it out himself. And nobody knows his game better than him and maybe that's something he tries for a year or two if it doesn't work. 
find find another coach, maybe. Well, well, I heard a very good quote this week, which was that Tiger Woods was once the artist and then become an engineer, and he needs to go back to being the artist. Mm. But it'll be interesting to see how that story is going to develop and who's going to if he goes back. The one thing I, I listened to an interview with Tiger and Butch it was back in 1997, and um, they were having a conversation. I can't remember the guy's actually name who they did with, and. They were actually talking very technical back in 1997 about the things that Tiger was working on. So I think Tiger is the kind of guy who likes to have something to work on, likes to know the things that he should be doing. And I, I, there's actually a very good article by Brandel Chambly on Golf Channel where he talks about this, that Tiger came, I think it was to Butch, and said, these are the 10 things that I think I need to work on. And Butch turned around and said, yeah, you're right, let's get to it. So I think... Tiger is just just I'm on this from a very uneducated view from reading about him. I think he always likes to have things. I think he does understand his game and he knows it and he could practice. But I think he likes to work with someone and and bounce off someone. You know. Well, to give you a very quick example, Butch Harmon charges a thousand dollars an hour for a lesson. Sean Foley charges two hundred and fifty dollars an hour. Uh, <laughs> I think that probably puts it in the perspective of where these two guys are. But the interesting thing about Butch is. For his pro- professionals, as in his stable, as he refers it to, he doesn't charge them at all. He says, you guys cut me a check at the end of the year and see what you think. A percentage so, of the winnings. <laughs> yeah, so he goes, listen, I'm not going to charge you. You guys just write me a check at the end of the year, whatever, whatever, you, whatever you think it is. I wouldn't say that check's ever gone past one number. A big fat zero from Tiger. <laughs> his stingy reputation. Yeah, yeah. I know a friend of, a, a friend of my father's was away on holidays and... Um, Spain a couple of years ago and went down to the local golf course to play. He was on the range hitting balls and along walks Jimenez and he just goes, oh, Miguel, a huge fan, brilliant, you know, any chance of a tip or two, you know, or a lesson? And Miguel goes, sure, sure, okay, no problem. So um, gives him a lesson for a half an hour and uh, off he he goes and uh, says, come back the next day, we'll give you another lesson, we'll figure it out. So he goes another half an hour the next day and one more day again, another half an hour he said, well, what do I owe you? And he said, uh, it was something like 30 euro an hour he charged him for the really? rest. Yeah, amazing. And he was prepared to pay, you know, into four figures, no problem. Really? He just charged him regular rates, which is really cool. Another reason to love him and us. Yeah, Absolutely. Same, well, look, uh, just very quickly, other news that, that, that came across over the last seven days. Um, the 2023, because they have to look this far ahead uh, for US <laughs> Opens, I'm not quite sure why, but... The 2023 US Open looks like it's going to be going to the Los Angeles County Club. Uh, that decision is going to be finalised in uh, early 2015. Um, but more interestingly, and I give Bubba a, a lot of stick on this, but thankfully somebody has recognised his greatness. Um, and the people of his own hometown have immortalised him this week. Um, can I give anybody a fiver if they can guess how they were how they've immortalised him? Name the street after him. Nope. Sadly, they have decided that in the good old traditional way, they have made a cornfield maze that looks like them. <laughs> now, I have to say, I excuse if there's any children listening, but they could have just put a big dick in the field and it would look the same. <laughs> but, uh, there you go. Uh, Bubba is going to be... Are nice. they allowed water that field? Well, yeah. They, well, there, were, there is actually, and I'll get you to tweet it later, because there's actually a club on it, and I actually wanted water dripping off it, but um, <laughs> unfortunately not. Well, look, that's that's kind of the news. It's quite enough anyway this week. So uh, moving on to really what we're all here for, and that's the Ryder Cup and the European picks and the wildcard picks for the European team and the US team. 
Uh, Paul McGinley on Tuesday, yesterday, picked Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood and Stephen Gallagher as his three picks to go with the nine that qualified normally. And I suppose, Alan, starting off just very simply, do you think that Paul McGinley got it right? Uh, I think he did with... I think like Poulter was obviously a no-brainer. Um, and I think Stephen Gallagher... Like I, Stephen Gallagher, clearly, he isn't in the same league as a Luke Donald or a Lee Westwood when they're on their, on their, on their A-game. But I think based on the effort that he's put in and his recent form, coupled obviously with the poor form of the other two guys, I think Gallagher deserved his spot. Um, I, I suppose, I, I think it came, I, I think it really came down to a coin flip between Westwood and Donald. And I suppose like the, I was having a look at both their form throughout the year and it's interesting actually, Westwood's actually played more events in the States than Donald has. And Donald actually went further in the FedEx. Now, that was obviously off the back of, he had a good run of form at the start of the year. Um, and I think he, uh, he's, had, he's had a very poor run the last few months, which is strange considering he's actually undergone, he, he, he's obviously undergone swing changes this year. So you would have expected his form to be worse at the start and to gradually pick up, but it's gone the other way. So I think Westwood basically got in based off the back of Donald's poor form recently. And Westwood obviously showed a little bit of form in the last few weeks. Um, I suppose from a personal point of view, I would have put Donald in myself, well, based on the short game. But uh, I think, as I said, I think it was a coin flip between the two of them. Well, that 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 I suppose is a very good point that you make, <clears throat> Alan, in relation to the short game, because uh, my my favorite golfer of all time, as the listeners know, Sir Nick Faldo, commented uh, after the announcement that, and again, this is a quote: "If Lee and Luke are tied, I'd have picked Luke. He has a better short game under pressure, and he knows how to play in rough weather." Would you agree with that, Bob? I do agree. And the one question where I thought it came down to is, um, we'll come to it later on, looking at the Ryder Cup teams, but a lot of it comes down to putting. And I think if it came down to, like the putt Keimer had actually in Medina, if you come to a seven-footer for a half or for a win or to win the Ryder Cup, would you prefer... Donald or Westwood or, you know, even a couple of the other guys. And I think Donald, by the statistics from 2003 to 2013 on the, on the PGA Tour, is the best has been the best putter on the PGA Tour over 10 years. Yeah. But I think Alan's point is very good. Donald's form isn't great, you know. I mean, even looking back at the last kind of, in the last five events, 57th cut, miscut, 40th, 50th miscut, uh, 64th in the Open and miscut in, in, the, in the US Open. Yeah, I think Donald's, I think Donald's best, or since April, his best result has been a tied 38th in the States. Yeah. So that's it, in, in, in four, in four months of play, he hasn't, he hasn't had a top 30 finish. Mm. He has gone through swing changes though, so he's, he's struggling to bet it in and get, and get the confidence in it. You can, you can actually see that it looks a lot better. I think it's just, he just needs to get a run of tournaments together. Maybe next year, um, I'd love to see Donald come back and get back up to the top, the, the upper echelons of the game again, because he's a beautiful golfer to watch. Were you surprised, Barry, that Paul McGinley didn't take Luke based on the very close relationship they've had over the Ryder Cups? Um, no, not at all, because I think McGinley's play has just been a w- wonderful the whole way throughout this process. And he managed to remove the emotion of that support that Donald gave him in his bid for captaincy and, and made a, a very objective decision, which I, I thought was uh, very admirable. Um, well, I watched a bit of the press conference um, and McGinley spoke, I think you were touching on it, James, that uh, 
Luke Donald's very first shot hit in Ryder Cup was was with uh, Paul McGinley, mm. and from then on they forged a strong relationship. But McGinley mentioned as well that Donald said to him at the end of their phone call, he said, "Listen, I came out publicly." And I backed you for captain. And I thought he was going to say, where are you picking me? But he actually said, listen, I think, you know, I support your decision and I, I wish you the very best of luck and I'm fully behind you, which shows what a class, class, classy guy he is. And it was, it was interesting as well that in the press conference that McGinley said that Donald was actually very surprised that he didn't get a pick. Yeah. So he, he obviously fully believed that he was, that he deserved a pick or should have got one. I definitely think that Luke Donald has gone up in my estimations. I thought, like you, when I saw that quote and saw yeah, the beginning yeah. of it, I thought it was going to be expletives afterwards, and it turned yeah. out to be really nice. The big story of the week, and we didn't touch on it over the course of the, the, the preview of the Italian Open, is Stephen Gallagher. He had to tie second last week to get in automatically. He would have taken GMAC's spot. He doesn't do it. He just falls short. Bob, do you think that it was the performance last week and... Or do you think that it was the fact that he lives 30 miles away from Glen Eagles that got him on the team? I think it's, it's all of the above, James. I think um, I think the fact that he's Scottish, he'll have the local support. Um, I think the fact that he's a European Tour player and he's dedicated to, to the European Tour, I think that's very important. But McGinley came out, and he mentioned this again in the press conference, he came out and he publicly challenged Gallagher to deliver he said listen I'm looking for guys to see the line and go for the line and I think Gallagher did a fantastic job he needed to finish tied second and he finished third he and actually got, um, McGinley talked about on Friday uh, Gallagher was nowhere I think he was about 70th 80th in the field and he had a back nine of 30 shots and he said that Gallagher realized he needed to do it and he delivered on Friday afternoon and then he delivered on uh, on the weekend to very very nearly do it yeah, and I think uh, I think the Scottish angle is quite important because I think if that was someone like a Yus Loughton who was sitting in that position, it wouldn't have got anywhere near the hoopla that it's been getting. Like mm, you, you mm. saw Twitter going mad over the weekend for people calling for Gallagher to be in the, to the yeah. team. If it wasn't a Scottish person, I don't think it would have been as high profile. But in fairness, like he had, he shot a sixty-five on the Sunday when he needed it, and uh, like. Barry, Barry was calling him a bottler last week when we were uh, yeah, on the Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I, I take it back now. Listen, he he, he stood up to the challenge, and McGinley commented on it and said, "Look, he, he barring a freak round from David Howell, he actually achieved what he needed to achieve." And uh, it kind of mirrored what McGinley did when he was trying to make the team. You know, plugging away in the European Tour, lots of events, and you know, stood up to the plate and delivered, or all but delivered, bar one shot when you really needed to. Well, I think this is the thing. McGinley in his last event, I think he needed a really strong performance. And mm. Again, he talked about this, and McGinley was in the exact same position as Gallagher, and he delivered in his final event and got onto the team in the final event. And that's it happened on the last hole as well. Actually, yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. I was listening to that today when it's. Um, and you, I, look, I think it would have been a travesty if Gallagher hadn't made it. You know, with, the, with all the different factors coming in, as you said, Bob. That you know, they all combined to make this pick as much of a lock as Poulter, in my mind. Um, I, I think something there would have been a nasty, a little, a small, little nasty air about the team if he hadn't made it. Especially, the, it's it's going on in Scotland. I don't think there was any dispute that Poulter was going to make it. I think that was probably the best unkept secret um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in, in Ryder Cup history. In terms of the guys that didn't make it, and look, the boat has sailed on Molinari and Luton and all these guys, but is it hard, Bob, to feel sorry for anybody who doesn't make the team at this stage? 
on merit or I, I think someone like Donald who they're disappointed they, and, and I think it was Alan or yourself mentioned that he was disappointed not getting a wild card I think that's it's understandable disappointment but when it comes down to it they didn't qualify for the team and they've no right it, it's fair enough to be disappointed but they've no right to feel like well I should have been on the team if you didn't qualify well then you, I don't think you have any right to feel sorry for yourself in the long run well, I suppose the other news then, just coming out of the European camp, we're going to look at the US now very shortly, was that Paul McGinley has also announced his other vice-captains. He had the two already, but he's he's picked three more, and that was Jimenez, Harrington, and Olathebal. Alan, would you have taken Luke Donald as a vice-captain to Glen Eagles, as you weren't picking him as a wild card? Uh, I, can, I can definitely see the argument for bringing him. Like I know when Sergio didn't qualify... A few years ago, he was brought along, um, but like I suppose he McGinley named the three guys today, but he also has Des Smith and Sam Torrance as well. Mm. So he now has he now has five vice captains. So I think you kind of get to the point where, like, if you start adding guys like Donald in, you get into six. Like I, I actually listened to Harrington on the radio today, and he said he always used to think that the vice captains were just along for a jolly. Um, <laughs> so like, if that's if that's the argument, really, do you need six? And you got to draw the line somewhere, I suppose. So I probably wouldn't bring Donald down. I, I think uh, the guys, Harrington, Alazabal and Jimenez, I think they're just literally water carriers. They're driving the buggies and they're not going to do it. Smith and Terrence probably are the important guys. These guys are just someone to be air in a hole. Or literally, if someone goes... I left my wet gear here at Harrington. Will you go, go <laughs> and, 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 and run back? Yeah, you got you got to think that um, they're also being kind of pulled in to be groomed for future Ryder Cup captaincy as well, kind of get the get the early experience on yeah, it. Yeah. And um, you'd also imagine that they'd get wet gear that would actually work as opposed to the US team, which you know, had the wet gear that didn't work all the way back those years ago. One thing I've noticed, Paul Laurie was on Twitter uh, giving out that uh, grumpy Scotsman, eh? Yeah, yeah. I was disappointed that he now maybe he felt like he was entitled because it was a Scottish thing, but he's like mm. he was, was giving out on Twitter saying, "Oh, I never got a call to be involved in the Ryder Cup," and you know, again, you didn't do it to get on the team. And I, I think the assistants are, are picked for for who it is. So, but like, I just don't like to see that. Yeah, he has a bit of a history of being grumpy. I was just just so we weren't just picking on him. I went and had a little uh, route around the internet and found um, his caddy did a blog has a blog and uh, one of the tournaments he was playing back in 2012. Just a quick thing he said: um, Chippy whinged his way through the day. Slow golfers, noisy spectators, bad shots, bad luck. Me talking rubbish. Apparently, nothing escapes the wrath of the greeting Scotsman. <laughs> so that's, um, that's actually funny because I tweeted that about you the other day. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> the, the the US wildcards, uh, Tom Tom Watson has gone with Keegan Bradley, Hunter Mahan and Webb Simpson. Look, start with Keegan Bradley here. Tom Watson has said in the press conference that he is to the American team what Poulter is to the European team. Aside from his staring and freaky eyes, is he right, Bob? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I actually he actually has a he's played four matches and he's won three points and. I think he's. I actually like him. I like to see him on on the states, and I'm excited that he's going to be playing there. You know, he gives the whole fist pump, and himself and Mickelson were brilliant the last time around. So I think he's a great addition, and it was a no brainer. And it's actually his form is very good. He's he was fourth in the U.S. Open, nineteenth in the Open, fourth in WGC, and as I mentioned, he has a very good uh, Ryder Cup record. So it was a no brainer, really. I think to pick him. Yeah, and I think when you look, at you you were saying he won three of the four last time. 
um, when you look at the, the pairings that they beat himself and Mickelson, they beat Donald and Garcia, McElroy and McDowell, and Westwood and Donald. So like they're three three of our best pairings that we yeah. could have put out. Yeah. And they didn't they didn't just beat them, they hammered them. Like they yeah. beat I think they beat Westwood and Donald seven and six. Mm. So like those guys like you can you just make the argument that you put Bradley in there just to play with Mickelson. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of <coughs> I agree, I think Keegan was it was a lock. In terms of Hunter Mahan, who was far from a lock, um with Jason Duffner and Dustin Johnson's uh, preference for recreate, well, sorry, just Jason Duffner's injury, and I was about to put him in the same category as Dusty Johnson here, <laughs> but his preference for uh, recreational drugs. Do you think that Tom Watson had the best players that he could pick? I, I think so. I, I think those three, they really seem to pick themselves. The only one that I had a question over was Simpson. I think he was in the, he was the, in the most tenuous position for getting a pick mm. because there were there were you know you had Chris Kirk who um who just you know pulled a win there on the weekend and um he's had Chris Kirk's actually had two wins in this season so in the last 12 months he's had two wins whereas Webb Simpson has only had the one um Simpson's been a bit of kind of start and go this year as well so I I, th- I think Watson did well um I think he I think he picked the three best uh, counting experience as well and I think that's, that was the thing that got Simpson over the line ahead of Kirk Yeah and I, I think um, I think though on that argument if, if Dustin Johnson had got in I, I'm not sure I could be wrong but I think Patrick Reed would have dropped out and I think if Patrick Reed had dropped out I still I still think those three guys would have got in ahead of him um, I, I think Patrick Reed would have missed out on the wild card Which would have been a shame for Reed. sorry because sorry, um, he had three wins this season Yes, yeah, yeah, I agree, yeah. But I, 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 he's, his form hasn't been... Uh, he's shown a little bit of form recently, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been great the last couple of months. But like, I think in terms of Chris Kirk, fair enough, he won at the weekend. But if, if if anyone had asked last week about Chris Kirk, he wouldn't have even been on anyone's radar. He wouldn't have he wouldn't have even got a mention. That's so a I think just because just he won at the weekend, probably... And, and you're saying he won twice, Barry. Like the, the other win was back in October last year. Mm-hmm. So... I, I think before this weekend he wouldn't have even he wouldn't have had a chance that's actually a great point yeah because everyone's clamouring for Kirk now but they weren't clamouring for him last week so I think that's a great point yeah in terms of Hunter Mayhan Bob um, he had a good win a couple of weeks ago in the Barclays he hadn't won I think for two years prior to that mm-hmm. um, was he a bit similar to Stephen Gallagher on the European team he really had to just step up to the plate um, and, and he did yeah, to be honest, I think Hunter again. There was obviously there's a bit of worries, and I think we touched on this actually when previewing the Barclays because we actually picked him for a win, and there is a bit of worry about his metal, but his long game is fantastic. So in the and we mentioned it in the lead up to the Barclays that in the WGC and in the PGA he was first in greens and regulation. So his long game is obviously in fantastic shape, and I think he might go well again this week. So I think he's. At the moment, in current golf, I think he's one of the best ball strikers around there. So I think he's no brainer. Was a great pick, I think. So look, that they're, they're the wild cards picked. We know the teams. We know who's going to to tee it up in Glen Eagles in 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 a couple of weeks. I heard somebody talk this week, Barry, that this, in their opinion, is the strongest European team to ever be put together. Do you agree with that? Without a doubt, yeah. Um, so just a, a quick look at the team. Um, the worst ranked player is actually Lee Westwood, and the average world ranking of the European team is 
18.5. So there's no way a European team has ever been stronger than mm. this before. Um, there's only one of them hasn't won in the last two years, and that's Poulter. And you'd have no worries about him going into the Ryder Cup. And the rest of them have all shown recent form. Well, the two-year process is a bit long, but um, recently that they they have the bottle to win and you know and, and stand up to the big pressure. And um, a few of them, obviously, the, the rookies have to make a leap to the the stage of the Ryder Cup and the extra pressure that comes with that. But um, I fancy, you know, I fancy they will. Gallagher, I don't think it'll have any problems. The crowd will just be supporting no matter what. Dubuisson seems like he could uh, a bomb could go off beside him and he wouldn't bat an eyelid. And uh, Donaldson's really stepped up to, up to the plate recently and shown that he is a class golfer and in, in, in some very high quality events. So um, I have no qualms about the rookies whatsoever. Um, they actually have, as a team, they have more wins than the US team do in the last two years. So um, well, and I think like the one thing I I, I was noticing is that. The guys who are the rookies are going to be paired, I'm sure, with fairly experienced guys like Lee Westwood, who 37 mm-hmm. matches. Like there's experience throughout the squad. And in terms of to put it or to paraphrase, like the battle of the picks, Bob, who do you think won the battle in terms of of of, of the wild cards and and the team generally, the US or the European team? To be honest, I think they both got it right. Um, I think McGinley pretty much got it right in the end. I think the and Watson um, got it right. Um, I think Barry made a very good point that this is the strongest European team, and actually the betting is reflecting that at the moment. That um, Europe are now four to six best price, and the states, which I couldn't believe, are nearly two to one. And I think there's a huge underestimating of this American team, and I, this is why I think it's going to be a fabulous um, Ryder Cup. One of the things that I looked at is comparing this and saying, well, some of the things that I find are important in the Ryder Cup is, first of all, putting. And when you look at this new stat, they have strokes gained putting. The American team are much better putters than the European team, and they and, and they have been putting very well. Also, as well, the American team makes much more birdies than the European team. Now, even if you take two simple things, like it's something in four balls, making birdies is going to be important. And I think we touched on uh, rookies. Like, Jimmy Walker's a rookie, but he's second on tour in birdies being made. So I think when it comes to things like rookies being paired, like if Walker was paired with someone like maybe Ricky Felder, that'd be a birdie machine. So I think it's going to be very tight. And I, I think I think the, the US team is underestimated because a lot of them are in very good form. The only thing I, and maybe this is coming from a slightly uneducated view, but over in the States, they set up courses for birdies because they want the American mm-hmm. audiences. So the stat that you're saying is important, but should there be an asterisk beside that to say, look, the European guys playing on Europe, the courses are set up slightly tougher where you're in the howling wind um, in, in, an, in an Irish Open rather than in beautiful manicured well, fairways that, of the US. The only thing is I don't remember too many events in the European Tour where conditions were quite tough. Um, I do think the greens are better in the States. They are likely to make birdies, but I I think a lot of the European players like Garcia, Keimer, McDowell, McElroy, Polder, McElroy is actually first on tour in birdies, so in fairness, that that's one for them. But um, I think it's kind of interesting when you look at the likes of Stenson, he's 115th in putting, um, Rose is 110th in putting which is amazing Poulter again which is surprising is 93rd in putting so match play for me comes a lot down to putting can you make the 6 footer for a half can you make the 6 footer for a win and I think putting is going to be incredibly important and when you add up the putting stats compared to the two of the states the states are stronger 
I do think though that putting does change slightly when you go into match play. Like if you saw Monty over the years in the Ryder Cup, mm. you know, you put him in a stroke play competition and he's dribbling the ball up to the hole, but you put him in match play and he's banging them four feet yeah. past. You can be more aggressive with your putting. So I, I it, it is a relevant stat, but I think it, it does change slightly when yeah. it comes down to match play. Yeah. Um, my only point is I think at the moment, and I know there's big talk about on paper, that the um, the states are stronger in terms of putting, and, and I think that's why I don't think it should be so far different in terms of the uh, the, the 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 odds. Like I don't think the states should be two to one, and I I I'll be having a small piece of them anyway. In a two horse race, I don't think anybody should be two to one, um, especially yeah. given the strength of the U.S. team. I had a quick look at the the scoring averages of both the teams and. Taking into account the, the scoring average for a lot of the Europeans on the PGA Tour, the average score for the European team on this year is 70.16, and the average score for the US team is 70 dead. So there is, there's virtually nothing in it. But again, that would suggest that the, the, the match should be a lot tighter. Like I think the draw, oh, absolutely. The draw is 10 to 1. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, 5 euro of that, I think, it, I think you'd get a good run for your money, I think. The only stat I could find a massive advantage for Europe in is the cumulative Ryder Cup record of the European team versus yeah. the, um, US team. Um, out of a total of 120 points, the European team have won 69 and halved 18. Yeah. And out of a total of 104 points, the US have won 43 and halved 18. So there's a win percentage of 58 for the European team and 41% for the US team. So it's said uh, that's huge, but I mean, look, that's because we've hammered them over the last. We few have, years. and you're yeah. taking stats over a long time, and we're we're we're, we're going down to one event and. You can just get on a run like the European team have done, and the US could easily smack us out of the park. Yeah, and I think uh, I think the last time the Ryder Cup went back to the States, Tiger Woods wasn't playing, so maybe there's an onus on that as well. That, yeah, uh, there, there's something there. Big factor. Uh, the only thing I would say, and this is this, this is my own point in this, is I'm already sick and tired of hearing the word redemption coming out with the <laughs> Americans. Everybody was, it's redemption this and it's redemption that. And Did you hear uh, Keegan Bradley? Actually, he has a hashtag on all his tweets called the Redeem Team. Yes. Oh, and, 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 and I'm also annoyed with that already. That's, it's only three days old. That's, me, days old. that's me is similar to the female Solheim Cup players wearing the American flag tied up in their hair. It's as yeah. annoying as that, I find. It. Yeah, well, I think we're very much agreed on yeah. that. Um, well, look, we are going to be talking about this a lot over the next couple of weeks, so we're going to leave it at that for the time being, and we're going to look very briefly at the preview for next week. And starting on the European side of the pond and the Omega European Masters, I think this is a bit like you know the night after the Lord Mayor's Ball and nobody else is left in town. <laughs> but this really is an event. It's got a few of the big names. Jamie Donaldson is playing. He's 11-1. to 1. Thomas Bjorn, 12-1. to 1. Victor de Brisson, 14-1. to 1. And Miguel Angel Jimenez at 22-1. to 1. And a good friend of the podcast, Robert Carlson at 28-1. to 1. Um, Bob, you know the course. I think you've actually been to the course that yeah. this is being held at. I actually lived in uh, Switzerland for a year and I went up to the, went up to see the course. It's actually really, really high up the mountains. It's up, up kind of place where you go uh, doing your, your skiing, whatever. Um, and it's it's quite a short course and quite tight course, and it is 
built on the side of a mountain. Um, but the views are absolutely spectacular and you see a lot of it. Um, but it's a kind of course that you need to plot around. There's drivable par fours. Um, but this is actually one of the ones that a lot of the players talk about that they really enjoy because it's a great venue. They get looked after very well. The food's fantastic and the views are just mind boggling. Yeah. And like hitting the ball in a range with just the Swiss mountains background is amazing. I think this is the course that during the su- winter when the snow comes, they have to cover the, the greens and do a lot of work on it just to make sure that they don't destroy them by snow uh, It's snow a ski, ski slope during the winter, isn't it? Uh, or some of it, anyway. I'd, I'd say, the, well, the town itself, Croncercier, is yeah. a ski village anyway. Yeah, so. You can tell you were in Switzerland. That French is perfect. Ooh, that, that. Yeah, you have the, 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 the rolling R's. <laughs> uh, Barry, are you going to have a pick on this? Is there anybody that takes your fancy or are you keeping your money firmly in your pocket well yeah well when it comes to this course it's it's there's a there's a big dichotomy it's the guys that love it and have played it before and the guys that haven't played it before and usually come along and get destroyed by the course um so you, you can't really look outside bjorn and jimenez for just ridiculous course form and year after year they play they play phenomenally well um, up in cross sorcier and um yeah it'll be one of those two if i have a bet um, I might I might go grab an outsider just for a bit of uh, long, long long odds interest. One that grabs my attention is Tommy Fleetwood, fifth uh, and twenty. Could <laughs> if Louis, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, fifth and twenty fourth his last two times out, um, and he was nineteenth two years ago and ninth here last year, and he. Ooh is the kind of person, he's he's not a long hitter, and he is a bit of a, as one of the lads in the office calls me, a bit of a bunter, that he gets the ball, or he just, you know, plots it around the place, or actually probably the word is plods around the place. <laughs> so he's very, he's, he's short, but he's quite accurate. That's so a good shape. Yeah, I think he I might. Like that. Think he and what else well. is he? Uh, 40 to 1. 40 to 1. Uh, 50 to 1, actually, with some place, but 40 to 1, most of these. That's all right. Well, you heard it here first, and Horseshoe tends to get them right. And... <laughs> um, over on the other side of the pond, the BMW Masters, the FedEx ranked three of four, so we're now down to the top 70. So if ever there was a competition that basically looked like a major event, this has got to be it at this stage. We lost a few people last week, Ian Poulter, Luke Donald, Brad Snedeker and Paul Casey. Probably not massive losses to the to the, to the the winning winners, but um, big field. Interesting that this week uh, I saw a video of uh, world number one Rory McIlroy trying and failing by driving an old-fashioned wooden driver. What's all this about, Barry? So, um, the Cherry Hills has hosted five uh, regular major events, three US Opens and two US PGAs. And back in 1960, Arnold Palmer won the US Open there and famously drove the first hole, which is a drivable par four at 346 yards with a persimmon driver. And this weekend, a lot of the pros have been trying to trying to have a go at this with the persimmon driver and uh, epically failing because it's it's such a different style of club to hit and a different swing and technique and everything but um, Rory actually drove it this week with his three wood Um, failed Uh, failed with the driver wood but uh, drove it with a three wood and um, one of his playing partners Eric Compton in the practice round said he's been hitting a few 400 yard drives around the place and he's also cleared the nets in the practice range which are 298 yards away and 90 foot high so I think that's because it's they're playing this at uh, altitude it's a mile high a yeah, mile up in the air hence the name of the mile high city they did, I, I did see a tweet saying that McElroy hit his three with 370 yards today that's fairly impressive, isn't it? Nice, nice. Yeah, I, don't, I don't care if it's an altitude. It's, that's still disgusting. It is. <laughs> it is. Th- this is going to be a bit of a birdie fest now uh, this week. Um, so look, looking forward to it. And everyone will be working on their birdie game for the Ryder Cup. I thought they were saying that this is the it is this the place that David Duval's a member. 
and I thought he was saying that the rough was actually going to be up. It, it is actually they've, they've kept the rough at three inches because they've had quite a lot of rain this summer. They said so they haven't gone too penal with it. They said it's going to be quite thick and juicy, but um, it, you know it's it's not going to be too long. I thought it might have been it because this place did it host yeah it hosted US Opens. I, thought, mm. I didn't think it was going to be a birdie fest. Yeah, I read that it's very much a US Open style course and that it'll be they're looking at nine, ten under, but I did mm. see Duval actually as you say, but Duval tweeted earlier on that they're they're expecting a bit of rain, which is gonna soften up the course. That that'll, ah, okay. that'll let that'll let the pros attack it like crazy. They also have a little par three course here as well, which is wonder if they, they have a pre tournament competition or not. Cool. A cool. bit of Augusta style fun. It's nice that um that David Duval will be able to get around all those professionals again, you know, that he's a <laughs> member. I assume he'll use his, his membership and sit around the pro, pro shop. He'll hop over the wall and join <laughs> <Yeah>. in somewhere. <laughs> uh, the leaders in the, the market are 5-1 to one for Rory, Adam Scott 14-1, to one, Justin Rose 16-1, to one, Jason Day, your great friend there, Barry at 18-1, to one, Ricky Fowler 20-1, to one, Jim Fuhrer 20-1, to one, and Henrik Stenson, your other favourite mate, at 20-1. to one. Is anybody in the group having any bets? And if so, where's the value for the... The listeners, not Jason Day. Um, I'll be back. I'll back Stenson again. Like he, he's do, he's doing a lot of things right um, and very few things wrong. It, it should click. Although he did say he's feeling a little bit tired yeah. at this stage of the year. I, I did read that. So um, you wonder whether he's just trying to throw off the bookies and backing himself. No, because actually Sarah Stirk interviewed him. I was actually going to back against Stenson, try and take him on with a couple of players like Jim Furyk to beat Stenson over seventy-two holes because. Stenson, Sarah Stewart asked him, saw you had a good last round. He's like, yay, I get into next week to play more golf. And <laughs> he actually said he's run down. Um, it's not bad. Yeah, uh, he actually used the words run down. I, I, would, I, I actually like, I heard someone tipping up Fuhrer because it's a US Open style course. He's something great for him. I'd like Fuhrer to beat Stenson. Well, Mick- I, Mickelson won here back in like 1990 or something like that at uh, an event many, many years ago. Maybe that'll light the spark for him this year. They played the US Amateur here. I think that's, that's, that's where it is. The one, that's and the one. Speed played at it. Matsuyama has played this course in the yeah. US Amateur, but he got knocked out in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, talking about tiredness, I heard Rory before last week's tournament saying that he might have skipped the BMW because of tiredness, but obviously decided to go. I'm going on an outside bet. It's not really an outside bet of 40 to 1. I'm going back to Martin Keimer. Oh, yeah. I think he's just again coming into form. He had a good week last week. And I just have a feeling that he might. US Open just, style course? Well, I just a 40 to 1. You know, they've pushed yeah. him back out a little bit. Um, I am going back to the Hunter Mahan well again. The fact that, I, <laughs> that, that never, never yeah. runs dry yeah. for you. <laughs> he's 40 to 1. It's an oil well for you. Yeah, he. The fact that again, I heard it was a US Open style course with kind of some narrow fairways. Like the first seven holes, they're saying are birdie holes, and then after that, it's it's hold on and uh, and try and make your pars. So I think if it's US Open style, I think Hunter could, could go well. I'm taking Billy Ho. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting this week because very few players have seen the course. It might be you might get a freak uh, freak winner, like kind of like a Alec Chris Kirk last week. You know, mm-hmm. unexpected winner. Well, we will all know this time next week, and you'll all hear about it in the review section. So uh, we'll wait and see. But look, that that that's everything I think for this week. Um, we've got some good golf over the weekend to watch. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed what is the one of the start of. One thing before we go, myself and a couple of the lads are going over to play golf in Sweden with Alex. Oh, I so. forgot about this. Apologies. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. actually, just remembered. So mini Ryder Cup. We'll be doing course. This is bigger than the Ryder Cup. <laughs> yeah, this is our Nurka Cup. Myself and a fellow listener, Stephen Halpin, playing Alan, and another listener, Matt, Matt Ward. 
So uh, practice day Friday, two event, two day events, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, do a bit of tweeting. Let us know how let us know how the matches are going. Do and where are you playing? Uh, I might pass over. To <laughs> Alan, where, where are you playing? Day one and day two, we are playing Lynch Open Golf Club, and then day three, we are playing Sand Golf Club. Okay, very nice. So. Sand is in the top forty, I think, in Sweden, is it? Oh, top 10, I think. Top 10. Top 10. Oh, yeah. oh there you go. He's, he's, hosting, he's hosting you very well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, a link, it's a very much a linksy style course. Uh-oh. That doesn't uh. sound good for me. <laughs> <laughs> Play into your strengths, Alan, are you? That's it. Well, look. If anybody has any suggestions for where Alan should play, uh, perhaps they might tweet us at the uh, at podcast GTS or get in contact on the the email, um, because I'm sure Alan wants to play a few more courses over there. In fairness, day one, day two, we're not we're not picking the cream of the crop. Day day one, day two is more to fit in with um, the uh, drinking environment. <laughs> so wide open fairways, are they? Yeah. <laughs> Well, very good. Well, look, have a great, uh, have a great holiday and uh, enjoy it, and let us all know how you get on, both on the Twitter over there during the weekend and, and next week on the the review of your golf games. And um, that just leaves me to say thank you very much to the lads. Uh, I've really enjoyed this uh, episode. I hope you have at home as well. And thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all again next week. Bye, bye. Well, you're fine. Bye-bye.